What's it like being a neurodivergent business owner? The pros and the cons. I like to say that I'm empathetic, not only as like a value, but as a person. And, you know, that's why I pursued social work. But I also have this higher level of sensitivity because I don't want people to go through the experiences that I went through and struggling with navigating the system. And a con is that a lot of things still aren't made for me. And it's frustrating that I still have to jump through hoops to find something and that things aren't as accessible to me and to other people who I could be serving. Of course, there's definitely going to be other business owners, other entrepreneurs and brand leaders who have different abilities and, you know, how are they going to navigate these things? It definitely pushes me to leave things better than when I found it. This is season five, the great debates of our times. Season five will be centered around the great debates and we will be comparing and contrasting different viewpoints on various topics that are consuming the public discourse at present. The reason I've decided to take this approach is because we, or at least many of us, are losing the skill of debate. And I think this is an essential skill for us all to practice once more. I don't see how we get to the point of saving the world and saving our planet if we don't know how to discuss our differences. I also think that the solution to most of our challenges is somewhere in the spectrum of views, but never at either extreme. I will be working with guests to curate the content and discuss beforehand. I will understand their positions, their areas of genius, and navigate my questions around that so that the conversation is challenging and stimulating without being combative. I hope you enjoy season five of Where Ideas Launch, the Sustainable Innovation Podcast. Tina is the owner and creative copywriter at Words to Live By, a copywriting studio focused on serving values and passion-driven brands and entrepreneurs. Specializing in brand messaging, SEO website copy, and email marketing, Words to Live By is committed to writing copy that is backed by psychology and poetically executed. Tina, welcome to Where It Is Launch. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to have you. And I want to get in a little bit to your background and understand how you got here to being in copy and becoming an SEO specialist, in fact. I took creative writing and I also majored in social work. So I branched off into the social work world. I worked in social services with children. And in the middle of the pandemic, I figured I should do something more creative and writing focused again. And I Googled, you know, side jobs where I can write and writing jobs I can make a livable wage. And I found out about copywriting. And at first, I wasn't sure about copywriting because I always imagined like corporations and working with an agency. But I was seeing, you know, copywriters who were working with smaller or mid-sized businesses, and they had more like intimate connections with these entrepreneurs. And that's what I decided I wanted to focus on. I really love working with community-driven businesses and local business owners and smaller businesses. Let's go now into freelancing and why you decided to pivot to, to freelancing with your business and why for-purpose brands? Why choose those categories of brands? I wanted to pursue freelance because I figured I would travel once COVID was over, but of course COVID lasted, you know, the pandemic lasted, you know, two-ish years, but I figured it would give me more independence. I wouldn't be 
tied down in red tape and bureaucracy that I was trying to get away from. And my background is in social work. So I figured I, you know, I've always been passionate about activism and um, like these grassroots organizations. So I figured working with purpose-driven organizations would be the way to go or purpose-driven brands because I would still have that social justice aspect of working with companies that are actually making a difference in the world and they're giving back to their communities. Yeah, I like that. And I want to tap into something now because before we got on to pressing record, we spoke about your origins and my origins, and we're both from the Caribbean. You're from Haiti, and I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. And I wanted to talk about this because in my experiences in the last four years in particular, when I made my own pivot to to sustainable business, to purpose-driven business, I found that it's quite a challenge to meet other people like me in this space. And I got to talking to a few people about it. And one of the reasons that came up was that many people think that sustainability on the whole is a bit of a white privilege conversation. And I just wanted to know what your reflections are on hearing something like that. And and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I understand why people might think it might be something that maybe like the upper echelons of society might, you know, be able to be more sustainable because of companies like Whole Foods, which are tend to be expensive and organic. But that's not actually true, especially coming from an immigrant family. We repurpose and reuse everything. Like my grandmother would always save like yogurt containers and use it to store stuff and In Haiti, people don't really have the means for a lot of things. They don't have, you know, the electricity, electrical sources that we have. So they they find a way to make things work. And that's carried over to America. You know, my parents would always save food for longer than they should have, but they, you know, were very adamant that they weren't going to throw anything away. Like that's kind of dripped into my ethos. Like I don't want to waste anything. I want to use every little bit of everything. I reuse different things that other people might think is like funky, but I'm like, well, you know, it has a purpose, you know, why not use it? So I think that's definitely something that maybe people, if you if you didn't grow up in an, a family of immigrants, first generation, second generation, you know, you wouldn't really see that. But looking back, I'm like, you know, we, we were pretty sustainable. I know exactly what you mean. So for example, my mom, she's exactly the same. Like she won't throw a single thing away. And the minute I start throwing things away, she gets upset with me. Like she gets absolutely annoyed. I was going to use that. <laughs> and I grew up with that and I definitely I think in my early 20s I definitely kind of rebelled so I know that I I spent way more money than I need to spend I bought a whole lot of stuff that ended up going to charity but there was never an idea of throwing anything away if I was doing something like like giving it away it had to go to charity it had to be repurposed it had to find another home and that's always been in my culture so you're absolutely right on that one I I totally share that and then the the other aspect of it you know sort of growing up outside of 
let's call it the big West, <laughs> the rich West, is that this whole idea of community was so important. So it's never just you. Like, like right now, I don't know my neighbors. Like, I wouldn't share my food with my neighbors, for example, if I had leftovers and I think I wouldn't get to eating it. If even I know my neighbor comes home late or whatever. Like, it's just not done. Whereas... You know, in Trinidad, it's it's all about the community. It's all about the network around you. And you would you would share everything, right? If you have fruits in your garden, you would pick them. You would have a big harvest, and you'd go share it on with everyone on the street, right? And and that kind of culture is not something that I've been able to recreate in the UK for sure. So it's something that I miss. Yeah, definitely. That's another good point because I was actually talking about this with a friend. How you know I'm coming from more of like a communal background where extended cousins and my grandparents, you know, we all lived together. We all shared everything. There's hand-me-downs. And once those hand-me-downs were done, we would, again, you know, like you said, donate it to um, charity or to the church. And yeah, I feel like once we kind of moved away from that, once we, you know, my cousins moved farther and farther away, you know, I kind of expected that to be like everyone. You know, I remember my friends saying she saw her cousin at the movie this the other day but she didn't say hi to her and I was like shocked like that's her cousin like you know how come you you know weren't happy to see her and that was really odd to me that people in the West are kind of more distant and, you know, yeah. we're very focused on independence and individualism. But I think that kind of that has, you know, is its pros and cons. And unfortunately, I think I've seen more of the cons. No, I completely, completely hear you. So we're going to change tax again. And now I'm going to go into more around your field and to explore that a bit. So how we compete as ethical businesses is an ongoing challenge. And we we have to come up with really great persuasive ways of communicating what's important about a purpose and about the social justice or climate justice or other form of justice that we want to, to see come to fruition in the world. But at the same time, we don't want to come across like some of the other brands because there's loads of ethical considerations, there's greenwashing, there's all of this stuff that we need to consider. What are your thoughts on how your field of copy and SEO and all of these things are currently helping or harming small businesses? In marketing in general, I've seen more of like this conscious and slower way of marketing and intentional way of speaking to people and how that has branched out into more ethical marketing tactics instead of using a false sense of scarcity or urgency or, you know, being more accessible in payments plans. That's kind of what I've noticed, but I've also when working with brand designers and web designers, I think there's more of a challenge and maybe you're working with packaging distributors and it's more expensive or it's harder to find packaging that's eco-friendly. I think it's opened up demand for more eco-conscious products. People are being conscious about energy and using green energy. But I also think it could be a con because I can see this being like a trend and people not necessarily caring about sustainability, but they want to, I guess, you know, like greenwashing, essentially just saying it so that people are attracted to their their brands. And so I think it's important to talk about the intentionality behind why you are doing what you're doing and 
that's what I mean, you know, working with purpose-driven brands. There's a purpose in behind everything, and they're not doing things just for show. They're doing it because they really believe in that. That's a value of theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about successes that you've had so far, and also what surprised you about your journey and your pivot into this space. I guess just, you know, finally seeing, like, my work especially in marketing coming to fruition because I had the struggle with social media marketing and, you know, Facebook groups. And there is, you know, part of me knew I had to do it, but I just was so stuck in how to do it. And I was exhausted, burning myself out, doing it in a way that was not beneficial for me, but, you know, finally able to find method or rhythm that works for me and seeing, you know, people respond to that. That would say finding my own, I guess, kind of system. What surprised me that I would continue to be learning when I first started out, out in the business realm, I was really adamant that I wasn't going to pay for a course. I was just going to read books and consume as much free content as I can, which is great, but free content does have a limit. And I am someone who likes to ask questions. I'm like slightly neurodivergent. So I kind of need people to hold me accountable and to kind of support me as well. So, you know, I invested in classes and I do love learning. I'm a lifelong learner, but I was just really adamant, I guess, that I wouldn't, you know, be paying for for courses. I didn't really have the best school experience. So that was something I didn't want to do. But all of those courses that I've taken have shaped me and made me a better copywriter and have helped me sharpen my skills. It's given me a community and a network of people that I can turn to. And I feel like I've gotten where I am faster compared to other people. I've seen other people who maybe took that um, didactic route and they're starting to do things that I had already been doing. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not so far behind so yeah I love this and I want to tap into it if you don't mind what's it like being a neurodivergent business owner the pros and the cons Hmm. I like to say that I'm you know empathetic not only as like a value but as a person and you know that's why I pursued social work but I also have this higher level of sensitivity because I don't want people to go through the experiences that I went through and struggling with navigating the system so I would say that's definitely a pro and a con is that a lot of things still aren't made for me and it's frustrating that I still have to jump through hoops to find something and that things aren't as accessible to me and to other people who I could be serving whom you know people don't have to disclose if they're neurodivergent or whatnot but of course there's definitely going to be other business owners other entrepreneurs and brand um, leaders who have different abilities and stuff and you know how are they going to navigate these things it definitely pushes me to make you know my mark and to leave things better than when I found it that's so powerful thank you for sharing that and I want to reflect on something so I think I'm a bit older than you like like maybe by a lot but when I was growing up, we didn't have conversations about neurodivergence. And today, like now I reflect on on my childhood and stuff, and I can see like all of my friends who were probably neurodivergent and I didn't understand it, or even myself, like I can see where I was potentially, I'm potentially touched with it as well. And I can see in my partner and, I, you know, I can see these things now, but we didn't have this knowledge, we didn't have this understanding. And 
instead of helping to help you evolve, you just learned that you just had to do it the mainstream way, right? Like, you know, from getting a job to studying to, you know, getting anything done. And today, like, I'm so pleased that there's so much more open conversation about this stuff, first of all, and that it's now okay to actually say, hey, hang on, you know, like, I need things in a different way, whether it be in a work situation, if you're, even when you're freelancing, like, I can imagine if you're working for non-neurodivergence, they may not understand the flexibility that you need to deliver on your job and stuff like this, right? But now it's a lot easier to have those conversations. There's still a group of people who don't understand it, but slowly and surely it's becoming more commonplace. And I really appreciate that we could we can tap into these things. Yeah, definitely. I think that continuing to have conversations like this definitely help. But I think if you aren't, you know, neurodivergent, you still don't see like the gaps maybe in your marketing or in your business that could potentially confuse people. So I think it's definitely good that people are becoming more aware and speaking up about it. Yeah, that's a challenge as well, because even for the neurodivergent, we're going to miss things because we understand things in a certain way as well. Like, oh my God, me and my partner, we have these debates all the time. <laughs> so so I'm a bit ADHD and I will go faster. So I will speak like way ahead <laughs> of of my mind in some ways. And, and sometimes I miss things in the conversation and he will be left at the point where the gap was and he wouldn't have understood anything I said after that, you know, <laughs> whereas for him is like he just needs details, details, details. And it's like we're kind of on the opposite spectrums and it's really difficult for us to meet in, in one common place, you know. And, and I think that this is, it's such an important thing. As you say, conversation is how we get to the point of getting everyone in the spectrum as opposed to one end or the other end. And, and it's definitely a challenge. So I want to move now to challenges and obstacles. And, you know, we've kind of spoken about this a little bit, but tell me a little bit about how you've worked through some of the challenges you faced. Yeah, I would say challenges I faced maybe were more internal. I had a lot of self-doubt and I tend to overthink and that kind of leads to over-analysis paralysis. I found out that's like an actual word and that's definitely what I would say was happening to me where I just didn't really do anything because I was so confused and stuck on what to do. And it took me a while to come out of that and to finally realize that I don't have to be perfect. And if I mess up, people a, either won't notice or if they do notice, they'll forget about it. So I would say that's definitely been like my biggest challenge in starting my business. And I want to move now to goals and words to live by. It's a great name, by the way. Tell me about your big hairy goals for what you want to do next. Well, I definitely want to continue to have these conversations with people, especially with other entrepreneurs and with other peers so that they can understand how to be more inclusive of people of color, of people with different abilities, because there's a lot of things in the space that I see and I'm like, oh, I don't 
think they meant to say that. I don't think they understand like the repercussions of their words. So I definitely think having more of these conversations, I definitely want to do that and, you know, continue to learn and to continue to get better at my craft. I would say I would love to have more, I guess, of these purpose-driven brands coming to me and resonating with me and just hearing from more of them and how I can best serve them with copywriting or with other resources in my network. I want to get now some tips because we've talked a lot about many things and there's so much. (laughs) I don't even know where to start with the tips, but probably I'm going to start with this. Can you give us some tips on writing to be more inclusive, first of all? I would say definitely think about, yeah, the language that you're using. For example, I've seen in a lot of sales pages, people using this term, um, action takers. If you're an action taker, you will be rewarded with, you know, $500 off the course. And to me, that doesn't seem fair for someone who has like, you know, a slow processing disorder, speed, slow processing speed, or who's has debilitating anxiety to see that. And, you know, that's definitely going to be like a, a turnoff or like a red flag to them that you're essentially saying that they can't take action. You know, I, I would say there's a lot of things. I'm about to write a blog post on things that I have seen, you know, feel free to reach out to me if you feel like there is a word or something that you're not sure or it would be right to use, or if it could be potentially inaccessible. But even, you know, things like copywriting, for example, and design are big investments. It's not cheap. It's very expensive. And for good reason, of course. But I see this narrative of if you don't invest in yourself, how are other people going to invest in you? And that I'm not okay with that, because that completely ignores the privilege that you have and that other people don't have, especially if you're a person of color or if you're in a marginalized people group, people want to work on themselves and they are, you know, building brands to to get out of, you know, the, these stigmas and to, to have a better life for themselves. And to say that, you know, completely ignores the fact that there are systems in place to, that makes it harder for people to get, you know, a business loan or that it's still kind of hard to get a grant or how do you even write a pitch deck? You know, those are things that you don't know unless someone teaches you and maybe someone hasn't taught you that. So just things like that, I'm always just very wary about and everyone's you know learning I think so this isn't a shame you know if you have used tactics like that before now you know you know maybe to be more cautious about that and yeah just to you know anything that has to do with learning or with you know privilege I think like you said there are more conversations about that so I know that more and more people will be talking about it at least I like to think that we're all out here to help each other get better at um, how to market to people. And what about SEO optimization? And I want to just preface this because we 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 got into a lot of conversations today and we didn't really talk about SEO, but I want to touch back on, on why SEO, because a lot of business owners have focused on building their business through their networks and through building communities and stuff like this. And the whole part about SEO is kind of popped because... 
it sounds too hard. It requires so much content. How can we break down some myths, bust some myths about SEO and like help people to embrace this in the design of what they're creating for their business? I would say like I was one of those people who was like, oh, SEO is definitely going to stifle my creativity. I don't want to, you know, learn about that. But the goal of SEO and, you know, optimizing your content is just to provide a better user experience for your people. So it's people driven first. And I think that kind of breaks down maybe those fears. It's all about, you know, serving your people and being accessible to more people so people can find you and the awesome things that you're doing. I think that SEO people get very caught up in trying to trick the system or trying to find shortcuts. And the one thing you just want to focus on is write content that people have questions about, that people are asking you about, that you know your people could benefit from. That's really the main important goal of SEO. And then all those other things, the optimization, the keywords, the all those little nuances, all those little discrepancies, technical stuff, those are second nature. Google prioritizes content. That's why I've seen pages that have great content, but I can tell that it wasn't optimized, but it's still on number one. So not to say that you can just write whatever you want willy-nilly, but you to go that extra mile, um, you do want to make sure that you're not keyword stuffing using the same keywords so that Google can pick up what your article is about because that essentially makes it harder for people to read. You know, it's making sure that your texts are broken up because it's easier for people to read texts that are bulleted, that have highlights, that are um, italicized. It's, again, going back to accessibility and neurodivergence. It's better for people who have maybe a harder time reading those. I mean, I think everyone would have a hard time reading a big block of text. And, you know, just making sure to use your keywords in a way that is just natural, making sure to have images that aren't too large, for example, so that it doesn't slow down the page speed. It's little things like that that really can help. Thank you so much for your conversation today and for sharing so much with us. I think I hadn't really understood as much about accessibility in SEO until today. And like you say, you know, we take the opportunity to learn wherever we can and whenever we can. So I appreciate you for that. And how can my listeners get connected with your work to learn more about neurodiversity and copy and to learn more about SEO, in fact? You can visit me on my website. It's www.wordstolivebywriting.com or on Instagram at wordstolivebywriting. Thank you so much, Dina. It's been a pleasure to host you today. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you today by the brand new Women in Sustainable Business Awards that kicks off in 2023. If you're a business owner who's starting a business with principles of sustainability in mind, and you want to preserve some lost skills, some handcrafting, artisanal work, or you're a social media manager supporting purpose-driven brands, or you're creating fashion or something that is relevant to the sustainability and green transformation, you are more than welcome to join us and to get involved in these awards. Check out our group on Facebook, Women in Sustainable Business, or follow the podcast Where Ideas Launch on Instagram to find out more.